This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. One more time here at Core Brain Journal. I am so pleased to welcome you here. We have a very interesting, with all the things that are going on in our world, folks, we have a very interesting guest who's going to talk to us about the development of the adolescent brain. Who doesn't want to pay attention to what Denny Coates, Dr. Denny Coates is going to talk about. Denny, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Chuck, it's a real pleasure. So gang, what we're going to do first of all is uh, hear a couple words from our sponsors, and then we're going to go into exactly what Denny has in mind that he's really, really passionate about regarding assisting the development of the adolescent brain. It's going to be pretty doggone interesting. So let's hit the point that Core Brain Journal is supported by Direct Health Access Laboratories with over 3 million studies. They are deep leaders of experience with the big picture of measuring you know, molecular and cellular physiology like methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges. Folks, that's where we are today with deeper laboratory studies. They provide a global service with a molecular focus. See more details for the laboratory at dhalab.com forward slash core. Core Brain Journal is also supported by the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center teams in Norfolk, Virginia, where they provide residential care on an evolved family, interpersonal, and indeed they're also globally available because they work so much with TRICARE and the military. You want to check out their innovative programs where they deal with individuals who are guests at their, at their uh, center, at the Robins, Mary Robinson Center. What they do is they provide, as I said, comprehensive care. They're getting deeper into all the vagaries that come in and they're noteworthy for the testing that they provide. Do take a peek over at barryrobinson.org. That's B-A-R-R-Y robinson.org forward slash core. And we'll go on from there. So let me introduce Dr. Coates to you folks. So Dr. Denny Coates is the CEO of Performance Support Systems. He's a publisher of adult assessment and learning systems. To support this work, Denny has studied brain function and brain development since 1987. What he said offline before we got started, folks, he is really interested in taking the latest neuroscience and turning it into mastery projects for adolescents and adults. But his real passion right now, he's got the adult material together. He's also developing and continuing to work more especially now on the adolescent brain. I mean, who doesn't need that to tell you the truth? You think about adolescence. So his focus has been actually during the past six years has been speaking and writing to help parents, mentors, and therapists to understand how to maximize the development of the adolescent brain to optimize the end results so that they become functioning right top form adults. Sounds terrific. So tell us this, Denny, how in the heck did you start to conceptualize a process in which you would actually develop the brain itself. How did all that happen? 
Well, I have been interested in the brain for over 30 years. I, I realized when I was working on adult programs that what I really wanted was them to change their behavior, not just to enjoy the training and learn a few things, but to, uh, to learn to do the skills for the rest of their lives. Now, that's, that's a tough thing to do. And I thought, well, I need to know how skill development happens, really. So it, obviously, it doesn't happen in your fingernails or anywhere else. It happens in the brain. That's where the skill uh, programs exist. Uh, I like to use the word skills, but if you like habits or behavior patterns, it's all the same thing. We like skills, Danny. We're definitely into skills. I'll tell you that. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that created a, a need for me to understand more about the brain. How, uh, how does the brain develop? How does the brain learn? How does the brain trigger behavior? What are behavior patterns and skills? And so I knew nothing. Uh, over 30 years, uh, and it's vastly interesting, and I've been studying the research ever since. So I don't do research, I study research, and I apply it in, into the work that I do. Well, earlier in the 21st century, uh, as I began to see more books about brain function and various topics about the brain, I noticed that some of them were talking about a thing called the teen brain. And the reason, as I read these books, I, I learned that in the mid-90s, there was this uh, researcher at the National Institute for Mental Health. His name was Dr. Jay Geed. Um, he had a team of uh, neuroscientists that decided that they wanted to use their MRI machines on teenagers. Never been done before. Um, they didn't want to look at damaged brains or, or injuries or anything. They just wanted to, to study the brain of teens. And they found out that the teen brain is still developing. Now, this was really a dramatic uh, finding because all neuroscientists everywhere assumed at the time that basic brain development in children was pretty much over by the time they're 10. And after that, it's building on the, on the brain and adding more learning and skills on the foundation. But it turned out that wasn't true, that there was a part of the brain that, that was not finished developing, and it's called the prefrontal cortex. It's a, a rather large part of the uh, thinking part of the brain. So it's located right behind the forehead, and it has a lot of really, really important functions, uh, such as um, problem solving and decision making and evaluating and understanding things and uh, solving problems and getting organized and setting goals and envisioning the future and self-regulating and it goes on and on. I mean, it's amazing what this part of the brain does. It's heavily interconnected with every other part of the brain so it receives input from everywhere and puts out input to all these other areas. So it's amazing. It's, a, it's, it's the part of the brain that makes us human mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, like every other animal species. We don't want to be reptilian. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, dogs and cats are pretty intelligent, but, and they do have a prefrontal cortex, by the way. But it's rather small, and they can't think the way we do. Um, 
So the thing that makes us very special as a species is this one of the things is the prefrontal cortex. And of course, another one is language. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not uh, the, the prefrontal cortex is after all, I I discovered uh, not finished in its development. And, uh, and so this had a practical, this, this discovery had a practical result as I read the books written by uh, brain scientists and educators and therapists and so on. And they were explaining how important this finding was to them. The word began to get out in articles and videos and generally into the culture and parents now had another reason to be empathetic with the typical strangeness and craziness of teenagers. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Right. And so if you, if you realize, well, you know, if that part of the brain that makes decisions is under construction, no, well, naturally they're going to have trouble making good decisions. Sometimes they'll exercise poor judgment, but they're not being mean and they're not being nasty and, and so forth. It's just hard. Yeah. It's a when, biologic developmental problem. Exactly. And so eventually the assumption was that, okay, it's hard in the early adolescence, but later on when they're adults, this phase will be over and they'll be able to use better judgment. Now, the empathy that parents can bring to the family situation is a wonderful thing. It's a huge benefit from this research. But the reason I'm in it is because I've, through my thinking about it and my knowledge of the brain, having studied it for so many years, I realized that there's a lot more that needs to be said. And there's a lot more benefit that can be gained through this self-awareness and through um, understanding how the development actually happens. And what, you know, knowledge is power, as they say. And so if you understand how the development happens, then maybe you can impact on it. Maybe you can optimize it. And if you do that, well, you could end up with a, a, a child in early, as a young adult who has a, an outstanding mind. And I think most parents are hoping for something like that. So true. So, so now I'm looking forward to hearing what you're going to say because now you've built the case for improved self-management in adolescence. You're really talking about playing basketball with some different hoops. Yeah. And, and what happens is you've got a different – sounds like you've got a different scorecard that we're going to hear about with different objectives and some innovative tools to actually help that, that child, that adolescent, that young adult – master the skills of interpersonal uh, relationships and indeed self-management. Almost every single one of the examples that you gave there had to do with adolescent self-management, which is the deficit that so many adolescents have when they're exposed to new situations, new people, new challenges, new seductions, if you will, drugs, alcohol, whatever. They either have some good self-management skills or they uh, lack some. They are not. None of us are uh, absolutely tied tight as well as we'd like to. But certainly, adolescents have more problems than most because they're not really even dealing with reality in the same way most of us are. So, how did you then get into you? You were doing adults for a long period of time in terms of self management and and performance support and understanding it with skills with with uh, adults. How did it actually come to take place with adolescents? How did you make that switch? What drove you to make that switch? Well, the reason I'm, I'm so interested in it right now is because 
of the, the, what I've learned and what has not been published. And so have, putting all of that together, I realized there's a book. And so what I do every day is I write. And I'm going to publish this book and help parents become more understanding of the process that's going on so that they know how to encourage it. Mm. And um, so I, what I'd like to do is just sort of outline what that process is. Oh, please. Um, if you ask me, how does the prefrontal cortex develop itself? The answer is it doesn't develop itself. You have to do the work because when what we're talking about in the development of that area of the brain is that some foundation skills need to be laid down. Thinking skills, mm. a lot, such as the ones I mentioned earlier. And so the way you wire your brain for any skill, like balancing yourself or sitting up and crawling and walking and talking and all the things that kids do when they're growing up, is you have to do it a lot. It's the only way. It's like you know playing golf or tennis or something like that. You can't just pick up a golf club and suddenly play golf. It, it, there are several skills involved, and you have to practice in order to make them uh, habitual enough so you can walk out on the golf course and use them. Or if you want to hit a, a nice forehand shot in tennis, well, man, you, you have to hit about a 1,000 forehand shots, and anybody who's played tennis knows that, even the pros, in order to refine. They have to hit a, thousands of, of shots in practice. Well, so the kids got work to do. And so you ask yourself, uh, wait a minute, has it, haven't there always been brilliant people? Always? Plato, you know, 2,500 years ago, Plato. Now he was brilliant. He had a wonderful mind. But he didn't understand the uh, developmental process of, of, prefront, of the prefrontal cortex. In fact, nobody did before the late 1990s. <laughs> So we've always had smart people. So how did they get smart? And the answer is they were lucky, fortunate, because they ended up getting interested in learning the things that exercise the prefrontal cortex, that, such as um, understanding science and working mathematical problems and solving problems in different activities and playing chess getting strategic, all the kinds of things that kids can do if they're interested. And maybe if you're lucky, there's an adult mentor in your life, like maybe your mom or your dad or, or just a friend, uh, someone who, who can encourage you to think for yourself. And if that happens often enough, you will. And then those circuits connect and you you have the skill in your in your in your prefrontal cortex, and so that that happened. It, it, it happened to me. It did not happen to most of my brothers and sisters. Uh, it just I just feel I got lucky, and a lot of people got lucky, and maybe you did too, Chuck. I definitely uh, did, no question about it. And I can I can remember the people that made me lucky. It's wonderful. I I love talking with people about their mentorship stories. Um. But the idea is you don't have to get lucky. You don't have to hope it happens. You can make it happen. And so that we start with understanding how 
the prefrontal cortex develops? And, and the answer is it develops the same way every other area of the brain developed earlier in life. And here's how it works. The area of the brain goes through a process called blossoming. And blossoming is nothing more than brain cells in that area sprouting connector fibers that we call dendrites. And these connector fibers are the things that connect to other brain cells. There's a potential there of making a circuit. So that's the thing that has to happen first. And blossoming is an overabundance of dendrites. Many, many more times more connect connective tissue than you'll ever need to develop that area. Well, then what has to happen is the human being has to exercise that function or whatever functions are involved in that area. And you have to do it a lot. Well, imagine a little kid trying to walk. Well, you know, they really want to walk. They, you know, they see adults walking around, getting, just going from here to there, getting what they want, and they can't do it. Well, they desperately want to do it. So they, they try and try and they fall, you know, fall a hundred times. But through the encouragement and modeling with the parents and so on, they keep after it until the circuit starts to form. And then when the circuit connections are there, then we have a, uh, a substance called myelin, which is like the uh, protective wiring on a piece of wire. That forms and you got a hard circuit for, for walking. And after that, it's easy. You don't even have to think about it. It's all automatic. Yeah. Just like hitting a golf ball. Yep. Just like hitting a tennis ball or, or anything you can do, like doing a power turn in swimming. You know, if you do it enough times, that part of the brain will wire all the brain cells involved. And then you've got yourself a skill. Well, that's what has to happen in the prefrontal cortex. And the next thing that happens as, as you start to exercise these thinking skills, these critical thinking skills, these executive functioning skills, uh, these uh, emotional intelligence skills, and so forth, that re reside in the prefrontal cortex, as you exercise them, then you start to make circuits. All of the connections that are not being used as you go through adolescence dissolve. They're basically pruned away, and that's a good thing. It's nature working to make the circuits easier to use because now you're not crowded with a bunch of unused wires, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so it's a nice, clean thing. Well, here's the deal. Not every child arrives at adulthood with the same capacity intellectually. Now, that sounds like a, a, a terrible thing to say, but it's just real. Some kids end up with amazing brains. Now, I went to school at West Point, and I was the uh, valedictorian of my high school class, and so I was able to get an appointment to go to West Point. When I got there, you know, it's an amazing experience and everything, and courses are challenging, and I discovered something really surprising. Like many of my classmates were just so much smarter than I was. I couldn't <laughs> believe a, it. That was a shock, isn't it? <laughs> I thought, why is it so easy for them? You know, for me, it was hard, all this stuff. I was working hard, trying to make decent grades, and, uh, but, but, but it, they were just acing it every day. You know? So that was interesting. Something had happened to them in their growing up that was 
more involved than what was happening to me when I was a young adolescent, even though I was working hard. So we don't all end up in the same place, as you well know, and, and all you have to do is live in the world a little bit and you discover that there are people who have very limited capacity who are working hard to make a life anyway. And they do all kinds of things that we want them to do and glad that they do it and we pay them to do it and so on. But you have to ask if you want your kid doing that. Is that what you hope for? Or do you want them to be a higher order thinker? And so what, what you do then is you realize that there are a lot of subjects that matter more than others. There are activities that really exercise the, the brain. Um, you as an adult, as, as the parent, can say things on a regular basis that will cause them to think for themselves things that you ordinarily wouldn't say. And so there are many things you can do. Well, now, here's, here's how this works. You, as the, the child learns and grows and the prefrontal cortex begins to develop and the pruning is ongoing because there are many unused uh, dendrites, what happens is, is that some kids learn uh, program their PFC with fewer skills than others. That means they'll have more pruning going on. Fewer circuits, more pruning. Mm -hmm. Other kids will be applying themselves and doing things that uh, hopefully not out of luck, but deliberately working on things. And so at, at the end of adolescence, they have many, many more thinking skills and much less pruning will have gone on. But at some point, there's nothing more to prune. And that's virtually the end of adolescence right there. Which some say is 24 years old. It could be. Uh, some kids, uh, you know, maybe it's early 20s. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's 20. For me, it was something like 22. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so that's why I sometimes, uh, well, what the neuroscientists say, it's a lose it or use it. Yeah, Excuse me, use sense. it or lose it. Yeah. So you better be using it. And the things that you do a lot, those are the things, those are the skills you're wiring in your brain. So and the thing I'm really interested in, Danny, when you're talking to me, because what you're saying is a very interesting neurophysiologic activity, but you've actually teased me and our listeners into this next part that you're going to deliver. And I'm looking forward to you delivering it. Okay. And uh, that is how you put the structure on in some way that is acceptable for an adolescent. The ruse, whatever the tricks are, how do you actually put that structure on in such a way that it's stimulating for them and they begin to practice what you hope they practice rather than what they're driven to impulsively practice on their own. Right. That's the key. Is, my, is, that, is that true for you? Yes. Now, I'll start with number one. And I call it, let them in on the secret. Explain to them what's happening. Now, I've done this with a lot of teens. And without, without a single exception, they, they not only love hearing this, they express gratitude. Wow, I didn't know that. That's cool. You know, this is good information for them. And so the, the sort of thing that I just told you 
and I'm the thing that I'm writing about, uh, that's something you can pass on to the child. Now, I know it's difficult. It was difficult for me to write it, so it must be difficult for a parent to say it. So what I recommend is hand the book to the kid and let them read it because my I write in a very clear um, conversational style. Mm-hmm. So that's the one, that's the first thing is let them in on the secret. And what that, ha- what that does is it provides a framework, but it also motivates them. You know, they need a reason to do this. Now they had a reason to walk, to learn to walk and they had a reason to learn to talk because they knew what they were getting from it. I'm not sure that they know what they're getting from developing the prefrontal cortex. All that is, is silent, hidden from view, poorly understood. And so they don't get it. But once you explain it to them, they get it. And so, so that. So the secret, pardon me for interrupting, because I'm getting, I'm, I'm with you on this and I'm trying to really understand exactly what you're saying. So the secret is you introduce the grid, the learning grid to them. This is a grid. This is how you take it to the next level. Here's the, here are the boundaries. Here's what you do. Is, is that correct? Is that where you are with this? Yes. But first they need to understand what's happening inside their brain, that there's, there's blossoming going on and then there's pruning going on and there's creating neural pathways circuits that need to be done. And the only way you can do it is by exercising the skill and here are the skills and here's how important they are to your future life and to right now. So you give them that explanation and, and now they have a reason to do the work. So as you just give them the biologic entrance, you know, this is a biology thing. You're growing. This is a place to grow and you want to be better at it. This is how we're going to do it. Right. Uh, one other thing that a parent can do is, is learn how to ask open-ended questions that get them to think. Now, parents these days, they like doing things for their kids and they're smarter than the kids. So it's so much easier to just say, this is, this is the way it is, or here's how you do it, or here's what you should have thought, or here's, here's what the problem is, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on forever. All the things that they do the thinking for the kid. It's what they could do is they say, well, why do you think that happened? Or what do you want to do now? What else could you do? Yeah. What are your options? Yeah. Well, if, if you do that, what do you think will happen? Mm-hmm. So you, you get them to think. And that's a, such a gift. If you can encourage a parent to do that kind of questioning instead of um, making everything happen for them, doing the thinking for them. Because as soon as you do, they're going to hate you for it anyway. I mean, I don't know about hate you, but they're going to be, they're going to feel oppressed in that you're being a linear vertical managing parent and they're going to feel like you're trying to control them by introducing your thoughts into their brain as opposed to this is their problem. How are they going to solve it? Yes. And, you know, when you ask them these kind of questions, it sort of sends the message. I value, I value you. I, I, I believe you can think this through. I, you know, you're smart. You know, that's, that's the message you send. But also you get them to think. And mm-hmm. so those are two things right, right there that, that you can do as an adult working with a child. See, those, those two points are elemental. It's the reason, that, I mean, it's one of the foundation reasons we're doing Core Brain Journal in the first place is because we love having guests on like you who are saying, look, here's the nature of the problem, and here's the beginning of a solution. Here's a technique that you can use that is not the answer. It's how to get to the answer. You know, the answer isn't coming 
from you personally. You said this several times in your conversation. You're not there giving them the answer. You're training their brain to think so that they, they can come to the internal answer for themselves. And I think that's such a valuable lesson for coaches. But uh, I say coaches, I mean parents, anybody that's bringing, attempting to bring somebody along. What do you think would be the resolution of that problem? You know, and, and to ask those questions because you get the brains turned on and you're developing the dialogue. It's, uh, you know, elemental. It sounds absolutely elemental. I'm so much looking forward to your completing the book. You know, yeah. and by the way, listeners, uh, what's going on? That Denny has a giveaway just to pop in since we're talking about his book a little bit. So his website is drdennycoatscoates.com forward slash ebook. And the name of the book, Denny, correct me if I'm wrong, is The Race Against Time. Right. And so what happens if you go to his website and drop your name there, then what's going to happen, you'll have, and tell us a little bit about what that is, and then we're going to take a quick break. I've got another question to ask you after we take the break, but what would be, what would they get when they drop in for that book? You, you, you have the whole ebook, or do you have a beginning of it, or what's actually, what do they get? Uh, it's an, a, a summary, actually, of what I've been talking about just now. Oh, that's great. Okay. And so it's like a, a pre-book to the book that I'm writing. So if you want it now and you don't want to wait for my book, then there's an awful lot of information in the ebook. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you get the beginnings of the, of, the, of the grid, the architecture is there. And in a moment, we, I'm looking forward to this next part of the conversation because, you know, what, what's happening is I, I like the basketball metaphor. I'm telling you, I played basketball. I was a serious basketball player in seventh and eighth grade. That's how far I got. But, but the bottom line is, you just threw the ball over to all of us. You know, we're listening to you, and you pitched the ball in, and you said, look, here's the court. Let's go out and dribble this thing around a little bit and see where – what What do you want to do? Do you like the game? I mean, do you like the ball? Do you like the smell of the gymnasium? What's, what's going on with you? Let's really think about this. And with that, we're going to take a quick break here, folks, and we're going to come back. And Dr. Coates is going to give us, I hope – I didn't prepare this with him. I hope a couple more clues about how that grid, how that surface uh, boundary situation can actually be developmentally applied to individuals who are coming along in their adolescent life. So with that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back in just a moment. Well, folks, you know as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials, and those very, very brief hospitalizations may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and, and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old. Improved care, those next mandatory steps, should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges, from family to peers to school, diagnostically from defiance to depression, on every level for families including military families internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living. How do we know? We refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing. So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash core. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable 
mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's D-H-A-L-A-B.com forward slash core. Well, Dr. Coates, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming back here because what's going on is we were dealing with, in the very first part of this uh, dialogue in our conversation, with the beginnings of, hey, let's really understand what's going on. The fact is we have a biologic problem. Let's, let's wrap that up. We got a biologic problem. Here's how the biologic problem has developed, what we're dealing with. There are brain pathways that have to be developed. It's certainly a clear neuroscientific imperative that we've got to do something with those neurons and the dendrites and make something happen. And then you've given us an initial hint about something anybody could do anywhere globally with a child to ask them relevant questions that take it beyond you being a parent telling them what to do. That's really where we are at this, at this point. So let's take a little bit further and see another couple things that maybe are in this book. I'm putting you on the spot because we didn't get this entirely you know, discussed, uh, but I'd like to tap your brain for our, our, myself and our listeners. What's next? What's, what else do you do to make that happen? Well, as I said before, I like to call this the smart part of the brain. It's where our intellectual capacity resides. And so we want to wire it to the maximum, if possible. And so rather than leaving it up to chance, hoping that it happens, uh, my whole mission in life is to make it happen, help parents make it happen. And so I suggested these two things, which was let them know that it's going on. And secondly, learn to help them uh, think for themselves by asking these open-ended questions. And it's amazing what you can do. It's what a mentor does. When you have a, a, a wise adult in your life, this is the best case scenario. So you can achieve that as a parent. Now, there's a couple of other things that are important. Uh, and one of them is what happens at school. Uh, as you know, they study a lot of things at school. And I'm just going to say that some of the things they study at school absolutely exercise the prefrontal cortex, no matter who's teaching it. And, you know, these are subjects like uh, geometry, you know, other, other mathematical courses. Uh, there's a logic in math. They learn it. Is if, if they learn it and if they apply it, apply their learning and if they try to make good grades and master the subject matter, 
it's inevitable that parts of the prefrontal cortex are going to get wired. It just happens. Um, science subjects are very similar. Why do these things happen out in the world? That's what science is. So we have uh, the scientific method helps to teach us these things. And so you can learn what has been, what has been discovered and why. Why do things happen? So all of this, what's happening? Why is it happening? How does this work? How does the world work? Nature, science, wonderful stuff. So if they apply themselves in these courses, it's going to exercise their prefrontal cortex. Now, you know very well that a lot of kids don't apply themselves in their courses. Yep. They just skate right on through. They didn't uh, uh, exercise their brains much at all. And the end result is it didn't, it's not going to happen for them. So if you get a kid who's trying to make good grades and is interested and wants to learn science, wants to learn math, <coughs> excuse me, these are typical courses that are powerful. Uh, not every school teaches computer science. But if they do, in my opinion, I just can't think of anything, any other academic course that has the power to wire the prefrontal cortex the way computer learning to program computers does. Every aspect of it is logical, requires uh, critical thinking. So there are these courses. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to take a little drink here. Yeah. Well, I'll just, while you're taking a drink, I'm just going to say that was kind of a leap off the cliff right there, Denny. I think it's great, uh, you know, that you actually, you jumped in to a very deep chasm right there, going from how do you ask a question to your adolescent to one of the things that you like so much is, is it sounds like coding or something in the direction of learning uh, com a computer communication. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Um. So that, those are examples of some of the, these courses that are just really powerful in their ability to help wire the prefrontal cortex if the student gets really into it. Um, the truth is that almost every course in high school can be that way or, or can exercise the prefrontal cortex if the teacher gets the kids to think about what they're learning. For example, uh, take uh, U.S. history. Um, so they get into the Civil War battles. And it's possible, and by the way, I've, I've sat in on a number of high school classes where they teach this kind of history. And uh, it's possible to teach history without getting to think about anything. They just mem <laughs> memorize the general's names and the names of the battles and the dates and so on, and you get a passing grade. Mm, so true. Uh, it's true. And so there are a lot of courses that way. They just want you to be able to regurgitate the, on yep. the test, you know, yep. get 100%. Um, if that's what's going on, it's not going to be much exercising of the PFC. But there are teachers who will teach something like economics, for example, and they really get into the why and the how. And it has a dramatic effect on PFC growth. Okay. So if you're lucky, you get, a, you get a teacher like that. I don't know how you find them and channel your kid into those classes, but maybe you, you could get, get the child to ask those questions anyway, regardless of who's teaching it. Uh, 
some kids just have a passion for learning. But so some of the courses uh, really have a powerful effect. Others can have a powerful effect. Some courses do not and cannot have any kind of PFC developmental effect. For example, one of the most useful courses I ever took in high school was typing. And I was the only male student in the class. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to show all these young ladies how to type, you know. <laughs> and so I ended up being her, her best student, okay. I, I was going along about 95 words a minute without wow. any errors, you know. Mm -hmm. So I got my A, and I didn't do anything to wear my PFC. So some courses are that way. Now, there are extracurricular activities, um, such as um, debate. You know, you really have to put, think through a logical argument to, and execute the argument. That's a really good one. Um, chess, chess club, uh, robotics, these science, engineering, uh, technology kinds of extracurricular activities are amazing in their ability to make a kid think. And uh, eventually they wire lots of programs and, and they get involved in solving problems. That's what I love about robotics is that it's all about problem solving. It's all about figuring out how to make this better, et cetera, et cetera, so we can win in the competition. So the bottom line is, is that a kid can skate right through high school, make C's and so forth, and not, not much will happen. Um, on the other hand, if they apply themselves and take if they focus in on many of these courses, a great deal can happen and they'll have a wonderful result. Uh, I could, my own personal experience, when I was 18, I arrived at West Point um, ready to learn whatever it is that the courses were ready to teach. And turns out that I, I took enough math courses to major in math, even though they didn't have a major in math back then. We had over 20 credit hours every semester and school on, on Saturday morning. I mean, all was mandatory. Took a ton of engineering courses. All of that had the, had the result of stimulating me to be a kind of a problem solver. And I got my brain wired hard over those four years. And at the time I was, I really loved being a cadet and it was a mixed bag actually of things that I put up with and things that I enjoyed. And, and only until now do I look back on that and I think, wow, you know, what a wonderful experience that was mm -hmm. academically and the way that it shaped my brain at the time when I still had a lot of uh, unconnected dendrites mm -hmm. and they hadn't been pruned away yet. So that was wonderful. Well, you know, I think that's one thing about a military institution. And, uh, of course, I didn't attend West Point. I did go to Culver Military Academy. And we had some people in there doing the same thing. I think the issue when you have a military engagement is you're really going into a military engagement dealing with the unknown. And you really do need to figure out how you can not only think on your feet, but how you can communicate effectively with a team that needs to be creative in that moment. I mean, it's one of the reasons I like, I don't know if you've listened to the Jocko podcast, because he's, uh, you know, he's a SEAL team trainer. Have you heard of Jocko podcast? No, I haven't. You would love it. Uh, he's, he's a great guy. I mean, he's, he was the SEAL team's 
training commander on the West Coast for all the cool. SEAL teams on the West Coast. Cool. And he has very, very explicit. Now, he's not thinking on the level of neuroscience that you are, but much of what he concludes and the way he conducts himself on the podcast, talking about uh, corporate America, dealing with uh, oneself on a, a developmentally positive way in terms of looking at the variables and thinking about solutions, is very much in line with what you're talking about. I'm sure it was his experience in war and his experience as a military commander that made him look at how, what's the solution here and how are we going to get this done? And, and he, and he's very humble. He's a SEAL team leader, but he says, look, we got to get this communication coming from the ground up. You know, if you have a better way to cut this pie on this pillbox, you tell me what it is because I'm certainly going to consider it. And, and that isn't linear management. That is team management. And, uh, that's, that's much of what you're talking about. He's, He's asking effective questions in uh, a changing reality. Yeah, a lot of things like that uh, can happen to a young person. <clears throat> and as I said before, once the pruning has taken care of all the unused uh, connections and there's nothing left but the programming that you have, which varies from young person to young person, now you see you have a platform, a foundation upon which you can learn all kinds of things. Here's the deal. If the platform is massive and robust, or you can build almost anything on it, you can become almost anything, you can meet almost any challenge. But what if the foundation is not, not huge? What if it's small? Well, yes, you can still build on it. If you work really, really hard, you can build up. But you can't, it's very hard to build a palace on a tiny piece of real estate. <laughs> okay so you know success in life it depends a lot on on adolescence and and the development that that happens then um there's one other th one other thing that is important in developing the prefrontal cortex that i'll mention before we have to sign off please do yeah and that's protecting it during the developmental period because after it's over it's over so how do you protect it well basically you have to protect it against foreign substances now, you know very well that when a woman gets pregnant, she goes to the doctor and the doctor says, okay, you really need to lay off the drinking. No drugs. Uh, don't smoke. Okay, they say that. And so the idea is, is that the substances that enter the body of the, of the mother are going to be transmitted through the umbilical cord to the placenta, which feeds the child, the fetus. And so it's really important. You, know, you don't want any of those nasty things chemicals to get into the brain and body of the child. And there's a horrible thing called uh, fetal alcohol um, syndrome. Syndrome. Yeah. Disorder. Yeah. And so we're talking about brain damage. We're talking about um, physical abnormalities and things that limit a person for life. It's, it's just awful. And so doctors have been very diligent about this, but, but oftentimes the, the pregnant woman makes mistakes or doesn't follow it. And, and so today there are something like 500,000 young people who suffer this, this. And so you see, we're not talking about any intellectual giants here. They, they're just very unfortunate kids. So you want to protect the brain of the teenager. Well, that ought to be pretty easy. He's not connected to the mom anymore by the umbilical cord, right? 
mom, the mom could actually be an alcoholic and it wouldn't reach the brain of the teenager at all. But a teenager has his own way of getting alcohol into his brain, his own way of getting drugs into his brain. And they're very much into experimentation and fun and acting like adults the way they think it's acting like adults. And so they binge drink and they and take uh, prescription and non-prescription medicines, uh, some of the doses like 25 times the normal dose just to get high. They do all this stuff. Well, that's going to have effect on the development of the PFC. So, <coughs> excuse me. So, Understanding this and helping the kid understand it provides a motivation for them to, to wait. You don't have to do all of this alcohol drinking now. You can do it later. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you wait until you're out of college, it'd be great. Mm -hmm. Give your brain a chance. And so they learn this. And you can encourage them, offer alternatives, and so on. And there's another thing that can also affect brain development during adolescence. It's very poorly understood. And that is excessive screen time. Uh, smartphones, video games, uh, all these things, all these various screens. What happens is that all of them are created to addict the user. And there are some video games, like a thousand of them, that are... Uh, <clears throat> You know, you wouldn't want a child to use them anyway if you really thought about it. For example, these first-person shooter video games where they, they pretend to kill people and blast them into pieces. Um, you, you know, you got to think, what's the kid learning? It's little, the, yeah, it's a little programming. It's a little neurologic programming right there, no question about it. Yeah, but what else is going on is, is it's very stressful to go through these simulated combat conditions. And the brain doesn't know that this high, the difference between actually being in combat and a high-definition simulation of combat. So they, they experience some stress. And so the cortisol begins to build up in their, in their body and their brain. And whenever they reach the next level, they feel a dopamine rush. So that's the reward. And so they want to keep doing it. And some kids will do it all night long, uh, day after day. And yeah. that's not the way the human being evolved to handle cortisol in the brain. Yeah. It's too much and it damages uh, the developing neurons. So how many parents know about this? Zero. Well, Dr. Coach, you, you know, you have hit some very, you know, I hate to wind this conversation up, but you've hit, I take a little break and a breath right there because you've hit Five really important points here in a very short period of time. We were thinking about maybe hitting a couple of them, but you hit five quick points. And I think the thing that I would take away from this and encourage our listeners to respond to and think about is the fact if, if, if our listeners, if anybody does this with another human being, this isn't just child and adult. This is adult to adult. This is corporate America. This is a person that you're having conflict with. If you ask for a point of clarification, ask them, you know, what would you do? What, what's the outcome of this? Where are we going? What can we do with this? They're more inclined to listen to you for some of the what are more admonitions in the last two regarding 
uh, keeping a clean brain from drugs and keeping away from the, if you have the working relationship wherein they know you're listening to them, when you say something more definitive that has a more implicit structure associated with it, I think I mean, my experience would be they'd be much more willing to listen. Like, hey, let me work with you because I really value this relationship. You're listening to me. And now it's my turn to listen to you a little bit. So I don't know if that's true. That What's your experience in that? We have to wind up. I hate to wind it up. But what's your experience with that? Well, as, as I said initially, <clears throat> for many years, I've been training adults to be uh, good communicators. And one of the new skills is uh, getting people to think for themselves. It's obviously a wonderful thing to get a teenager to think for himself, but getting anyone, encouraging anyone to do some thinking uh, without just ramming it down their throats and saying, this is the way it's going to be, this is the way it is. But asking these questions of anyone in the workplace as a leader, that's an amazingly powerful aspect of leadership if you can do these things. I agree with you 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, it sort of sends that message. He values my opinion. Yeah. It feels good to do some thinking. Yeah. So true. Well, let me wind up here and ask you to give our listeners one more time where they can reach you. We're going to, we're going to have this published, uh, uh, Dr. Coates, probably in about three weeks, something like that. We'll be in communication with you, but where can our audience, uh, connect with you? Should they want to download that, uh, email uh, through email, the, uh, the PDF, the beginning of the book, and a little more outline of what they can do next with their adolescent teams. Okay. Um, well, my website is a place to go. Uh, I do a lot of writing there. I have a blog. I've got over 200 articles there. Uh, I'm, there's something new coming onto the blog uh, every week. So that's go there. It's drdennycoats.com. It's drdennycoats, C-O-A-T-E-S, dot com. Um, and then pop on that, yeah, pop on that forward slash ebook so they can get yeah, the race they, against time. Well, it, the ebook is is featured on almost every page. If you if you're interested in the ebook, and I would hope that you would get a great summary of what I was just talking about um, in the ebook, you just click on the link. It'll take you to the the page where you can download it for free. Um, and that page is drdennycoach.com forward slash ebook. Um, and so that's where you can learn more. And also all of these interesting stories and thoughts and, and science and so on are what I write about there. So plus it, the, the website is a gateway to my favorite parenting experts in their, in their books and their articles, uh, in their videos, in their websites and so on. Um, oh, great. Hundreds of resources beyond myself. And uh, I, I do this because I want people to, to learn and know these things, but I, I can't, I don't know it all. I don't want to know it all. Mm -hmm. I specialize in the adolescent brain. Yeah. So uh, it's good to know these other things too. Then they can be a better parent when they're trying to do the things that I suggest. So. So very true. Dr. Denny Coates, thank you so much for coming on with us. We really appreciate it. It's very interesting. And we're going to have you included on our teens page. We got corebrainjournal.com forward slash teens. 
And we have a list of the people there uh, with what they've talked about uh, during these episodes. And you're going to be a valuable resource on that page as well. We really appreciate you coming on board. Thank you, Chuck. Uh, I appreciate it. I look forward to that. Thank you. You have a great day now. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive, misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications, like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.